How did I get to here? Have you ever actually asked yourself that? It's a pretty important question because without knowing where you've been and what got you to right now, it's pretty hard to figure out where you want to go. And that's why today on this first official episode of a brand new season of this podcast, I wanted to get super real about what brought me to this moment in time and honestly why I feel like I'm even here sharing my life with you. Welcome to the Do It Scared podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Sukup, and each week on the show, we will talk about how to face your fears, overcome obstacles, and most importantly, how to take action and create a life you love. Welcome back to the Do It Scared podcast, season two. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Ruth Sukup. I'm the founder and CEO of multiple lifestyle brands, including Living While Spending Less, Elite Blog Academy, Do It Scared, and Thinlicious, as well as the New York Times bestselling author of a whole bunch of books. And I just want to start by saying welcome back. I am so, so, so excited to be recording again. And I hope that you are as excited for this sort of shift in direction as much as I am. If you didn't listen to my welcome back, my better late than never episode, um, it was a real short episode, but just kind of explained kind of what I'm hoping to do for season two. Go back and listen to that. Um, But for those of you who are new and just finding me through this episode for the very first time, welcome. I'm excited that you're here. And my hope is that we are going to have a lot of fun together and that this will be a place that you'll want to come back to regularly. So if you haven't already, the easiest way to make sure that you'll be notified of new episodes is to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you like to listen, because I don't have a set schedule. I'm not committing to a set schedule with this podcast. I'm recording when and where I can. So (laughs) that's all I'm going to tell you. You don't know. It's like a surprise. Every day is a surprise. So in this first kind of official episode of season two, which I guess at the risk of sounding overly dramatic is sort of like the rebirth episode. Uh, I wanted, I, I wanted to start by sharing just a little bit more of my own personal journey over these past few years, but even going back a little bit further to kind of just talk about how I got to here, this point in my life where I'm at right now, and maybe even some of the biggest lessons that I've learned along the way. Because honestly, I think it's a question that we don't always ask ourselves, right? Like, where am I and how did I get here? We just, we sometimes just get so busy living our lives and going through the motions and trying to keep up with the grind and the day to day and stuck in the weeds that we don't always take that time to step back and reflect. But I do think it's an important question to ask ourselves because without that self-awareness to take a step back and look at where you're at, right? The big picture of how you got to where you are right now, it's sometimes hard to know how to move forward or where do I want to go or what are the things from my past that I'm still hung up on that I need to get over 
And that's a big deal too, right? Where do I, how do I take what's happened to me and use that to propel me forward rather than use it as a crutch to lean on or as an anchor to weigh me down? And I, I'm going to warn you right now that this episode, which I'm actually going to split into two parts because I want to be able to do it justice, but this episode, it's actually going to cover some tough topics. So this is like a trigger warning that I'm giving you. Um, there's depression, there's abuse, there's eating disorders. So just, I want to like trigger warning, be aware and be mindful of who's listening in the background and, and also just how those topics might affect you. Okay. So now that I've given you fair warning, let's dive in. Because like I said, I just, I wanted to kick off this new season of this, of this podcast by just sharing a little bit more about my personal journey in life and maybe just some of those things that have stood out to me or that I've learned along the way. And depending on how long you've been a listener or a reader or a customer or whatever you would consider yourself in my orbit, um, you've probably heard bits and pieces of some of the things that I'm going to share today, but probably not all of it because some things I have never actually talked about publicly before. But ultimately, I think that the only way to move forward is to be honest about everything, right? Like I do try to live my life that way with total honesty in all things because it's just so much easier, right? If you if you lie, then you have to remember all your lies and that's a lot of effort. So I I do like if you meet if you know if you need to know anything about me, know that I am a very honest honest person. Um I'm just very forthright, very straightforward and it's mostly just because I don't have the energy to keep up with trying to hide things, right? I am an open book because that is just easier. So anyways, I'm I'm going off on a tangent already and we're just getting started. So let's go back to the beginning. Um, so you might, you may or might, may not know this, but I grew up in a very, very small town way up in the northwest corner of Washington state, like way up there, right on the Canadian border. I was literally like two miles away from the Canadian border and growing up that, you know, that's where I grew up. Like, like everybody, wherever you grow up is what, is what your normal is. And so I thought every place in the world was like Linden, which was the town that I grew up in. Right. And our claim to fame in Linden was that it was actually the town. Well, this might be just a rumor. I don't actually know if this is true or not. I see, I might be lying, but I'm not lying intentionally. So that doesn't count. But supposedly our claim to fame was that it was the town that inspired the movie Footloose, right? No dancing because dancing leads to sex, <laughs> all of that, all that stuff. And it also, the other claim to fame is that it had the most churches per capita of any town in America. It's a very cute town. It's Dutch. There's a windmill right downtown and it's all Dutch. And if you go in the summertime, there's flowers everywhere and it's beautiful. And every lawn is meticulously maintained. My whole family still lives there. And honestly, we love going back because it really is a ridiculously cute little town. Even my kids are like, why is Linden so pretty? And in fact, we were just back there this summer for the first time since before COVID. And it just is. It's such, it's a great place to be from, right? It's a great hometown. 
Um, but in a town like that, right, where everybody knows each other and it's a very much small town and there's a lot of keeping up appearances. And so my family, um, which was the Linden family, right? We worked very hard to sort of keep up this facade that we were this perfect family, even though we were basically, basically a hot mess. Um, so my dad is an entrepreneur and he was, he was actually very successful. He's been very successful, um, as a business owner. And so we, you know, we were one of those families where we had money, we lived in a big house and we had a full-time housekeeper and a pool in the backyard and nice cars and all the things, right? And that's kind of the stuff that people saw. They saw this sort of perfect life with, with a big house and all the things. And what a lot of people didn't see though, is that my mom my mom struggled with mental illness and like really struggled and and so wasn't really even capable of taking care of us and they didn't see that my dad was just was very absent he was either working or traveling and then when my parents were home my or when they were both home my parents were just fight fighting nonstop right they'd have these just knockout drag out screaming matches that would go on for hours and hours and hours and hours and it was awful and i can remember hiding and my hiding with my brother and just trying to stay away from like all the crazy and my childhood it sometimes just felt like it was it was filled with so much chaos and rage during the week right there's so much anger all the time and fighting all the time and then that would alternate with going to church on Sundays because, of course, we went to church because there's most churches per capita. And I went to a Christian school and we went to church not once on Sundays, but twice on Sundays. And we would go to church and we'd have our dresses on and we'd look all nice and everybody would just like smile in the pews and we would pretend that we had it all together and we were this perfect family and it was so confusing as a kid, right? Like it's so confusing when you're putting out this thing to the world, like you've got it all together and yet you don't. And so because my mom wasn't really like super capable of taking care of us, she just really struggled. Um, my dad ended up hiring this woman, right? My dad didn't want to take care of us. So he hired this woman. I will call her Mrs. H., to protect her identity, but I will call her, uh, she was kind of, I guess for lack of a better term, she was the nanny. She didn't live with us, but she would come in every day and they would stay with us. Um, when my parents traveled and went on trips and I actually loved Mrs. H because she was like this calm and steady presence, right? Where, where there was all this craziness going on. She was actually the one who taught me how to cook and taught me how to bake. And, and she lived in this crazy cabin in the mountains and there was no electricity or running water. And they raised all their own vegetables and milked their own cow. And it was so, so different than anything that we had ever seen before. So my, my brother and I, my little brother, Joel, and I just, we always thought it was like, so cool, right? Like just, wow. They had like a horse and buggy and they would sell vegetables off of it. And the problem of course, (laughs) with Mrs. H wasn't actually Mrs. H. It was her husband. Her husband was, let's just to put it mildly, was a total creep. 
And so when they would stay with us or when we would go to stay at their farm on the mountains, um, bad things would happen. And I'm sure I don't have to tell you what those bad things are. You can put two and two together. But bad things would happen specifically to me. And that was confusing, too, because I I actually really loved Mrs. H, but I hated her husband. And so as a little kid, just like eight or nine years old, I didn't really know how to deal with that. But I also didn't really feel like there was anybody that I had in my life that I could trust to tell the truth to. And it's funny It's funny now when I look back on this, just how I see it so differently, right? I I remember thinking, you know, all the things that go through when something like that happens, that it, that you think that it's your fault or that you think that you're bad or you think that you're dirty. And, and I was just kind of dealing with all this stuff. And I remember that in third grade, I had this teacher who just – hated me, like really hated me. I won't say her name either because I don't want to be mean. I don't know where she is now, but she really like truly, truly despised me. I know that she did because I had her again in fifth grade and she hated me in fifth grade too. I don't know why she hated me so much, but I think when I look back, I wonder if it was because maybe I was acting out in some way, right? And maybe she never put it together that something was actually wrong. Maybe she thought like I was just a spoiled brat because I can sure, I'm sure that happened all the time, right? I was from such a good family. And so maybe she just thought I was a brat. But the next year in fourth grade, I actually had an amazing teacher, Mr. Cook, and he didn't think that I was a brat, right? Like he actually figured out that something wasn't right. And so he, I remember this, he pulled my parents in and I don't know what he said to them. I don't know if I'll ever (laughs) know what he said to them, but whatever he said after that, they never came back, right? They never stayed. They never stayed with us again. I never saw Mrs. H again. Like they, it was done. So he saved me. Literally he saved me whether he knew it or not. And I'm, I'm so grateful for that, right? If I ever have a chance to tell him that, like, I don't even know if he knows what he did. But I, I think when I look back at that experience now, so many years later, it just, one of the things that makes me wonder is how often we as humans just write each other off, right? Or we assume the worst, about someone else. We meet somebody and make all these assumptions and make all these kind of judgments when we actually have no idea what is going on behind closed doors. And I I think about that now and I think, man, what a reminder to always be kind. What a reminder to always give people the benefit of the doubt. And what a reminder, I guess, when something feels off to have the courage to speak up. I think so often we feel like it's not our place, but as humans, who are we if we don't advocate for one another? And oh man, this is semi-related, but kind of a tangent, but that movie that came out, The Sound of Freedom, I don't know if you guys have seen it. It's it's amazing. Like let go of all the political stuff. I don't even know why that's there. It's not even political, but it's like, it wrecked me. It wrecked me for a couple of weeks. In fact, I can't stop Think, like thinking about it. But man, same thing, right? Just 
Who are we as humans if we're not advocating for the weakest members of our society for these kind of things? Who are we if we're not paying attention and speaking up when something seems off? So just a little, just a little word <laughs> on that. But there, there you go. There's a story I've never actually told before. And it feels good. It feels good. I told you I was, I was going to get super real with this. So let's keep going because there's, there's more to this, my sordid tale. And I wish, I wish that I could say that my family situation magically got better after that whole episode, right? I wish that I could say, oh, well, they stopped coming and then everything was fine. But the truth was that was not the only issue in my life. And my mom actually got progressively worse throughout my years in middle school and then in high school. And so like to the point where she would she would disappear for days at a time, like we didn't know where she was and she would go into these like really dark times and then she would come back and be totally manic and all sweetness and light and want to go on these crazy adventures and shopping sprees. But you get to the point if you've and if you've dealt with somebody in your life that struggles with mental illness, you know this too. Or if you do, right? And maybe other people like have this response to you, but you 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 start to learn really early that you can't trust it, right? Like even when things are good, you can't trust it because you never know when that crash is going to happen or when the rage is going to start. And so you know, as my mom got worse, my, I think my dad just started to retreat even more and more, right? He, he, and I understand this now that I'm an entrepreneur, I, myself, right? Now that I have my own business, I understand like wanting when things are stressful at home, wanting to retreat into your work. I totally get that. I have actually a lot more empathy for him now than I've ever had with that because I get it, right? When I feel like when my kids are being jerks, I mean, this literally just happened last night. My teenagers, teenagers, sorry, teenagers can be jerks, right? So when my kids are being jerks, I'm like, how can I retreat and not, and just not even deal with it? And I think that was, what happened with my dad. He just disappeared more and more. He was gone all the time. He was traveling all the time. He was on all these different boards and working. And I think that it never really occurred to him that my little brother and I still needed him, right? That's the problem when you're the fourth and fifth kids out of five siblings. My older siblings were so much older than us. They were out of the house. They were already adults and I think he was used to dealing with adults and he kind of, it was almost like he forgot that he had these younger kids that still needed, that still needed something, right? They still needed to be parented and we basically had to fend for ourselves. And so I did a lot of things back then, like high school that looking back now, I think was probably just to try to get some attention. I don't know that I was consciously doing it. I was, it wasn't like a conscious cry for help, but I think, I think I just, on some level, I wanted somebody in my life to realize that something was not right, right? Something was wrong. I needed another Mr. Cook to like raise the red flag and go, gosh, this is not okay. So kind of the first thing was that I developed a pretty serious eating disorder that again, even now looking back, I think was more of a cry for help than anything else. Right. I was, I, it was like something that I could do and control that I thought, well, maybe, 
maybe they'll notice this, right? And but I ended up losing a lot of weight. So for context, I am six foot two inches tall, and I have been that height since I was fourteen years old. So really tall, even really young. And right now, I would say I'm at like a very healthy weight, basically size six four sometimes, and I weigh around a hundred and fifty eight pounds depending on the day, right? Which is great. I feel great. I look great. It's all good. But in high school, I started out at that, basically that same weight, right? 155-ish and got all the way down to 119 pounds. I was at six foot two. I was literally skin and bones, just like wasting away and just like kind of hoping somebody would notice. But what happened is that I lost so much weight that like my body started shutting down. I couldn't sustain my blood pressure and I I ended up one morning, I passed out in the shower and I had a shower in my, in my bedroom, like a bathroom in my bedroom. And, and I fell out of the shower and I hit my head on the corner of my vanity. And when I woke up, I like, I woke, I remember I woke up and I looked in the mirror and like my face was just covered in blood, right? Like it was very obvious that I was going to need stitches. I had this big cut over my eye. And it was like six o'clock in the morning. It was really early. Um, I've always been an early riser. But so when I like I went and knocked on my parents' bedroom door and I like knocked on the door, I'm like, Dad, I, I fell out of the shower and I think I need I think I need stitches. <laughs> and I told him, and his response, I'm not like this is not a word of a lie. He handed me his insurance card and told me to drive myself to the doctor. Like that was it. That was like classic kind of where my parents were at, right? It was just, so I did, I did obviously drive myself to the doctor. And honestly, that was kind of the end of my eating disorder phase, I would say. I I think I scared myself, but I also think I sort of realized that it clearly didn't matter. So what was really the point? Um, so that was that was kind of, that was kind of that phase of my life but i think i tried other ways to get to get their attention too right i remember one week i stayed out driving until like four o'clock in the morning every night and that, that was not not like something i actually wanted to do because i if you know me you know it's like a joke among my friends right I, come on over and i'll be asleep by 9 p.m you have to leave at nine right i i am not a stay up late person i am a get up early kind of person but I was like, well, maybe if I just don't come home, they'll notice, right? Maybe if I just don't come home, that some they'll they'll get worried. And this was like during the school year, so I was just out, and I just would drive. I didn't have any place to go, so I just drive around. And I did this for like a week, right? Just like, and finally, I gave up because nobody noticed, and I just wanted to get some more sleep. And at that point, I think that was really like that was really the point where I was like, I got to get out of this house. I just have to leave, right? My, my things with my mom were continually getting worse. And, and, and it was just like, so, so chaotic. And so I decided to skip my senior year of high school and to become an exchange student, which literally nobody from my school had ever done before. I remember I went to the guidance counselor and I said, okay, I want to become an exchange student. Can you help me? And she looked at me and she said, why would you want to do that? Why would you want to leave Linden? 
And, and then she said, and I can't help you because I don't even know what that, I don't even know where to start with that. So I just like randomly picked a, a exchange student, um, agent organization. I went with AFS, which ended up being great. And as it turns out, like become deciding to become an exchange student was probably one of the best decisions of my entire life. I, and funnily enough, I had checked the box on my application to put me anywhere in the world that I did not care. I did not care where I went. I just wanted to get as far away from home as I possibly could. And I think if you had asked me, the last place that I would have ever picked would have been Holland because, you know, my background is Dutch. I grew up in this town in Linden that's totally Dutch, right? It's all Dutch people. My parents speak Dutch. My mom was born in the Netherlands. So I grew up like immersed in in Dutch culture. And that would have been the last place on earth I wanted to go because it felt like, well, that's not going to be different. Well, as it turns out, it was the best place I could have ever gone. Like seriously, I remember the plane like coming down into Amsterdam, into Schiphol Airport in Amsterdam and looking down and I had this overwhelming sense of being home, right? Like of this is my homeland. It was weird to me. I mean, at 17 that I could even feel that like, oh, this is my homeland. Like these are my people. And then I got to my host family and they were the best. They were so kind and so loving and so caring and so warm and just like so interested in knowing me and talking to me. And the funny thing is they didn't speak a word of English, which was weird because everybody in Holland speaks like fluent English, except them. They were, I think the only two people in the country that don't speak English. And I didn't speak any Dutch when I got there. I learned it pretty quickly because it was like, I don't even know how to describe it. It was like finally getting water after being lost in the desert and nearly dying of thirst, right? Like to have these two people who were just loving me every day and wanting to talk to me and asking about my day. It was life-giving. And I I feel like I just soaked it in like a little love-deprived sponge. <laughs> it was it was literally like the best year of my life. And when I had to leave at the end of the year, I was honestly, I was devastated that I had to leave. I wished that I could have stayed forever. I think my host parents wished that I could have stayed forever. Like we had the best year together. They were the most amazing people, but I obviously didn't stay. They wouldn't let me stay. They make you leave. And so Instead, I went off to college and that I will spare you all the details of college because this is getting very long. But I will say that my big disaster in college is that I made the mistake of getting married way too young to a guy who I liked. Right. He was a nice guy, but I didn't love him. I wasn't in love with him. I didn't. He wasn't. And I, it's hard to describe why I decided that I needed to marry him. But I think it was, it was like, then I could just be on my own, right? Then I was, could create my own family and could could create the own, this own life that I wanted. But, and so I got married, I think I got married between in the summer between my sophomore and junior year of college. So I was really young. And so by my senior year of college, I was like pretty unhappily married at that point, like realizing I had made a big mistake while also trying to work full time and manage a full time course load. 
And and it was just, it was hectic. I had lots of credits. I was taking really hard classes. I was doing all, you know, honors work. And then a couple of things happened that put me like totally over the edge. So the first thing that happened was my mom came for a visit. She, and that was the whole thing, right? Cause she was still, she was still struggling. And so she started out, she got there and she was just like on a high from having having traveled and flown. And so for the first couple of days, it was like all manic and happy and excited. And she wanted to go shopping and she took us to Sam's Club and she bought us all this stuff, which felt really fun. And because we were, you know, poor young married couple and having like a mom to come and do things for us, like was awesome, right? For a minute. And then like the crash happened. And so like it went from like everything was great to like pure rage. And after three days of her just like basically following me around the house, screaming at me, I finally kicked her out of my house. And that was like hard, right? It was, I said like, mom, I remember this so clearly. I'm like, mom, I'm an adult now. This is my house and you can't do this to me anymore and you need to leave. And that's what I said. And, and so she left and she like left, left, like left, like not just left my house. She literally disappeared for weeks. Nobody knew where she was. She was like MIA. So everybody was freaking out because my mom is gone. She's missing. And then she, so that was in Michigan. So she flew back to Washington and she, but she didn't tell anybody she was going back to Washington. She flew back to Washington and then she got to my parents' house and she packed up all of her stuff in the middle of the night and she left my dad and she left him for good, right? Like she was done. She was, she left and went and got an apartment. And then, you know, after like having grown up with them, my whole life fighting and always thinking they were going to get divorced. All of a sudden, like they had, it was, it was just bizarre, except my siblings were like really upset about it. Right. And so then they pretty much like, they're like, Ruth, you're the one who kicked her out. Like, this is your fault because in hindsight is 2020. Like this was a long time ago. This is 25 years ago. Right. So when we all look back, you can see that there were so much building for years. And it honestly had nothing to do with me. But at that time, they were all young, right? They were all young. They were all just having kids. And I think they were still hoping for like normal grandparents for their kids. And and they wanted this like ideal that was still like, I think we still had hope that there was something that could, could be different than it actually was. And I think it felt easier to blame me for ruining this ideal that they had in their heads about how our family should be than to actually deal with the reality. But that was kind of the first big trigger was my mom coming and it like just stirring up all of these emotions. But then after that, I like pretty soon after that, and maybe it was related or maybe not, but I started, started having like flashbacks and nightmares from the abuse, like the sexual abuse that I had experienced as a child. And, and cause I had never really dealt with that. Right. I had, and honestly, I had blocked all of that stuff out for a very long time to the point where I think I had like forgotten it. Right. It was clearly it was there, but it was stashed 
in some nether regions of my brain and I just didn't ever think about it. And so all of a sudden it was like all coming back and I couldn't sleep and I couldn't eat and I didn't know what to do with it. And I would like have all these memories that I just didn't know how to deal with. And I couldn't talk to my husband about it because we were pretty much already living separate lives at that point. He was a teacher and he was a coach and he was really into sports and he was really into his job. And I had no interest in any of those things. I was a college student. Like we, we literally had nothing in common. And so we just, because I couldn't sleep or didn't want to sleep and because I was trying to avoid all this, these nightmares and flashbacks, I would just stay out all night. I would go study at a local coffee shop and then I would like come home in the morning, right as he would, right as he was leaving, like we'd say good morning or barely, or sometimes we'd just ignore each other, right? Like we were not, not in a good place. So that wasn't good. And then it all sort of came to a head when I started taking both a history of religion class and an existential philosophy class at the same time. So let me just tell you, word to the wise, or if you have kids that are going to college, that is not a good combination for somebody who is already struggling with childhood trauma, (laughs) right? Especially a childhood that was messed up yet like very religious based. Like that was just, and I got to a point where I was, I was, you know, taking this philosophy class, existential philosophy, and then the history of religion. And I'm listening to all these, you know, things that these men had done over the years related to religion. And I was like, this is all bullshit. Like all of it, it's everything that I've ever learned. It's all bullshit. I just started, I started to believe that religion is nothing more than a social construct invited, invented by a bunch of men throughout history as a way to control people. And therefore God can't possibly exist, right? Like that was in my 21 year old brain because I was struggling to deal with everything that was happening to me. And I think I, I think what I really thought felt like was if God was real, he wouldn't have let those things happen to me. I remember thinking that a God that is real wouldn't have let those things happen to me. A God that was real wouldn't have allowed all these bad things. And so he can't be real. It's just a social construct, but that posed a big problem for me because you know, God was all I knew up till that point. Like I said, I went to Christian school all my life, church twice every Sunday, youth group on Wednesday, Christian college. Like God was literally the center of everything, my whole existence. And without God, if God didn't exist, then what was the point of life, right? Then life had no meaning. And so basically that to me was like the perfect storm for a total breakdown. (laughs) And if you've heard, if you've been around for a while, then this is probably the part of the story that you've heard before. Because what happened is I, I got super depressed, just spiraled down, down, down. And, you know, I already wasn't eating and I wasn't sleeping and I wasn't in a good place with my marriage and all these things. And I just got super depressed and decided that life had no meaning. I attempted suicide um, multiple times and very became very, very close to dying. In fact, I can say that it is without a doubt, without a doubt that only by the grace of God and an absolute miracle that I am sitting here to even tell you this story that is getting to be very long. I told you it was going to be long. Um, like, because by the time, 
by the time of my third suicide attempt, I had, you know, I had my first one and then I got hospitalized and then I had another one and then they released me and I had another suicide attempt and I got hospitalized again and then they released me again. That's kind of how it all works in our mental health system. But by the time of my third suicide attempt, I was, I had separated from my husband and I was living in an apartment by myself. And when I didn't answer the phone, my therapist called 911, like right, right, right away. He was like, Oh, something's wrong. So he called 911, the fire department knocked on the door and I didn't answer. And so they broke it down and they found me unconscious and barely breathing And then my heart stopped in the ambulance and they put me on life support and they gave me less than a 10% chance of ever waking up, right? They they called my family and they said, you need to come. She's not going to make it. There's no chance that she's not going to have permanent brain damage. Even if she does wake up like you, it's, you got to come and say goodbye. And so they did, they all flew to Michigan where I was and, and came and (laughs) then I woke up. And here I am, a walking, talking, living, breathing miracle, right? I, without, well, depends on who you talk to, but no apparent brain damage. I should not be here, but I am here, right? I, there is no rhyme or reason. I took six bottles of prescription sleeping pills and chased it with a bottle of vodka. There is no reason I should be here. But the thing is, guys, To me, that's actually not the miracle, right? At least not the only miracle. I do believe in miracles, but that to me is not the only miracle. Because even though that was the moment that I I should have died, it actually sadly was not my rock bottom. And it definitely wasn't the moment where everything turned around, right? I didn't like wake up miraculously and go, well... I have a second chance uh, that it doesn't really happen that way. In fact, I remember waking up and being so pissed off that I was awake, right? That I was still alive. I still wanted to die. I was still just as depressed as I had been before, maybe even more so because now there was my family there and it was like, it was awful. And I still had a very long way way to go downwards, right? I to hit rock bottom. So, after that close call, I spiraled even further in, into so much like self-destruction and self-harm and drinking and drugs and sex and cutting and burning and getting into bar fights. Basically anything that I could do to avoid feeling all those things that I didn't want to feel. I would just like like I was just on this like rampant path of self-destruction that I'm very grateful for now that social media didn't exist then because that would have, I would have canceled myself before, before I even started. But, you know, I would, so my pattern was I do all this self-destructive behavior. I would end up in another psychiatric hospital. Then my insurance would run out and I would get released and I would go self-destruct some more. It was it was, that was it, right? That's what actually everyone there did. That was, that was the pattern. If you, if you've ever known anybody who's been admitted to a psychiatric hospital, or if you ever have, like, that's literally the pattern is that, you know, people self-harm and they get admitted and then they get released and then they go self-harm again and they get admitted and it's an endless cycle 
that never ends. And I remember watching that, like seeing it in myself, but also watching it in all the people around me. And I remember at one point telling one of my therapists, what what on earth makes you think that I'll ever get better? Nobody gets better from this, right? People leave, but they always come back. People leave the hospital and they come back. It's the same people over and over. It's just a revolving door. You like, you can't tell me I'm going to get better because nobody does. And that's how I, that's how it felt. But that's what I feel like is my real miracle, right? Not the fact that I survived that suicide attempt or all the other ones, but the fact that I got better, that I got better and that I have lived my life depression free for more than 20 years now. Like even the fact that I can tell you this whole story and about all the trauma of my effed up childhood without really any bitterness or anger or self-pity, right? I've had lots of hard things happen in my life and I can talk about that without having it mess me up. I'm not going to record this episode and have to go crawl in a hole because I talked about things that I've never talked about before. Just because I've never shared them publicly doesn't mean that I haven't process them or dealt with them, right? Because what I also recognize is that my life had a ton of privilege and opportunities that a lot of people don't have. I'm not a victim of my childhood. I am the person I am today because of what I've been through, right? Not despite what I've been through, but because of what I've been through. And so it might be like a stretch to say I'm grateful for all the bad things that happened to me, but I'm not ungrateful, right? I'm, I'm accepting like that is what happened, right? That is what happened and trying to pretend it didn't happen or trying to be, or being angry for the fact that it happened doesn't serve me. And so that's the miracle. I feel like that's what I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that that is why I am here to share that story, right? To share the hope of that story, to let Anyone who will listen know that no matter how bad things are right now or how far gone you think that you are or how badly people have hurt you, there is hope, right? There is hope for healing. There is hope for redemption. There is hope for forgiveness. There is hope for you. I know that because I have experienced it. I have come out the other side when I didn't think it was actually possible. I didn't think when I was in that moment that I would ever get better. And yet I did. Here I am. And that hope has literally shaped the rest of my life. (laughs) That was a lot. And honestly, there's like so much more I want to share with you about my story and what has brought me to here. But in the interest of time and keeping each of these episodes manageable. I am going to save the rest of this story for part two. All right. Sound like a plan. So go listen to that one when you have a moment. But in the meantime, of course, if you haven't already, be sure to hit the subscribe button on Apple podcasts or Spotify or wherever you like to listen so that you can be notified of my sporadic new episodes whenever they drop. And then Before we go, I want to say also that if you have any questions about what I shared today or you just want to share your story or your feedback, please feel free to email me at ruth at ruthsukup.com. And I will see you back here for part two 
very soon.